0: ahead and get started. So welcome everybody. Um, I think Bluntie, oh no, Bluntie's good. Um, So welcome everybody. Uh, Apologies for my absence uh, two weeks ago. It's been a busy time uh, at work for me. So, um, But tonight we've got Dan, Alex, myself, uh, Dave, and I believe Robin and Bluntie are here as well. So um, just wanted to get started with a couple of uh, interesting articles. So And this went out a couple of weeks ago, but I don't think we've covered it on here. But let me get my screen shared here. Let's see. So the FAA has announced the stakeholder members of the UAS Detection and Mitigation Aviation Rulemaking Committee. Um, So there are 58 aviation stakeholders that will soon develop recommendations for the expanded detection and mitigation of unmanned aircraft systems. Um, so, this is going to be a similar rulemaking committee to the Beyond Visual Line of Sight ARC. Um, and uh, there are 58 different members. The list is right here. There's a link in the article. Let me actually post the link here. Um, and uh, we do have uh, a l- little bit of uh, recreational representation on this, which would be the AMA. Uh, in the form of Ch- Chad Boudreau. Um, and uh, we've got uh, ALPA on here, um, yes. AOPA, um, ASTM of UC. Uh, let's see. Any other major wing is going to be on here. Um, wow. So Skydio. Uh, so a couple of different places. Um, it, and some... uh, cuz the...
1: Excellent Interesting names, too, just like MLB and NFL and stuff, which are fairly obvious mm-hmm. from having outdoor stadiums. Yep, But not something and I'm used th- to seeing on a, on an FAA list like, of, of who's who's like this. Yeah.
0: And there's definitely yeah. some uh, 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 members that have been receiving some funding uh, from the FAA, like D-Drone and Defend. Um, Drone Responders is on here as well. Honeywell. Um, So definitely, I think the uh, NFL obviously is a uh, key member on here uh, just because of, um, you know, protecting stadiums and and whatnot uh, in terms of uh, mitigating uh, encroachments by drones during games and whatnot. Uh, We should um, also
1: briefly mention that we did talk about this a little bit in the past, but in those previous meetings, we've called this the... Counter UAS Arc, uh, but the FAA mm-hmm. didn't go with that term. They've called it the UAS Detection and Mitigation Aviation Rulemaking Committee <laughs> instead of counter UAS. right. But it's If you hear it's either little, of those terms, it's the monster. same thing. <laughs>
2: right. And we uh, since so honor about last October, we've been yeah. asking the FAA, please consider us. So we're uh, not on the list, not a member. Uh, but we have contacted a couple of uh, of the members, asking uh, to be identified as a subject matter expert, which would give us uh, access to meetings as well as uh, participation in some of the uh, discussions and uh, uh, subgroups. Uh, it would not give us a vote on the recommendations, uh, and we're also uh, uh, will be part of a. Uh, technical Assistance Group that's uh, being run by uh, AUVSI as well. So, Dave, why so, do you think it's important that we are somehow involved with this group? I, uh, for two reasons. I think the tech, being aware of the technology is important from the perspective of what type of uh, technology or is going to be able to uh, disable or take our 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 aircraft out of the sky. Just so from an awareness um, mm-hmm. and. Secondarily, uh, I'd like an appropriate representation of people flying FPV uh, so that there's not a a characterization of careless, clueless, and criminal as uh, all of the uh, small UAS operators. And how many representatives are
1: there for recreational operators here? There's AMA? Is that the only one?
2: Well, I would yeah. yeah I would assert that the AMA is uh, primarily uh, interested in uh, fixed wing line of sight uh, aircraft uh, uh, from flying fields, and and I, I certainly understand that the multi GP is a special interest group of the AMA, and I know that the AMA headquarters folks are uh, interested in growing the AMA organization with uh, drone participation. Uh, but if you if you most fields that uh, certainly I I work with. Uh, are are more interested in fixed wing line of sight uh, model aircraft so i would i would assert that there's very little uh recreational drone uh, uh, fpv type of skills on out of these 58 companies
0: yeah i would or say maybe a loss would be kind of a side a, a side recreational support uh john Higrange has always been pretty uh yeah. Supportive absolutely. of recreational, for sure. Yeah, so absolutely. good, maybe good point. one and a half, one and three quarters. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah. A lot of 50 these 50.
1: companies and names are people we're familiar with from the beyond visual line of sight arc from the
0: AAC,
1: and
2: other things like that. Right. 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 So we've yeah. been able to reach out and, uh, and ask for, um, uh, please, uh, identify us as a subject matter expert. Absolutely. We know a, n- a number of, Uh, These folks, and so it's it's not a matter of oh, it must be a rotation. So this is this is the same crew that's been on many many uh, tasking groups, as Dan points out, as well as beyond visual line of sight aviation rulemaking committee. And here's the key
0: thing that I'm seeing a lot on here is a lot of this is associations. So it's member org like associations that are supporting multiple um, people in- within their their segments, right? So you've got the Airborne Public Safety Association, uh, Airline Owners and Pilots Association, um, American Association of Airport Executives, um, stuff like that. And this is something that I think the uh, and Something I'm just going to toss out there is that associations can be strong, um, strong uh, kind of organizations when they're representing um, multiple aspects of their, you know, kind of segment of the industry. And this is something that I think yeah. the,
2: the, the... And they're um, usually well-funded in the 501c6, and they usually yeah. have uh, lobbyist uh, arms And it's something well. that
0: we're lacking in the hobbyist community, right? So, Completely. Um, yeah, we have nothing...
2: Well. No, we don't have any trade association uh, operational. Yeah, so maybe something to
0: consider. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this will be moving forward. And um, I thought I saw something that there might be another one coming up, another rulemaking committee or, or something. Did you send an email about it, Dave? That was this um, one. Was it this one? Okay.
1: Yeah, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, maybe this is different, but it's just because yeah they okay. gave it a different title than we were expecting. we had been previously talking about it under
0: yeah fair enough all right so next up um is the city of el paso um they are the first u.s city to implement a fully networked remote id system to detect drones and protect airspace um so the city of el paso texas uh, is the first city in the united States. To fully implement uh, networked remote identification to detect drones flying within and beyond 500 square miles of the airspace from the El Paso International Airport. So, this is interesting. What does that um,
1: mean I, that they implemented it? Like, so everybody flying there has remote ID that's connected to the network? All the recreational well, pilots? Here's the, here's the thing. They're is collecting it as city,
3: really, right? What's that? I think they're collecting it as the city, right? Like that's the idea is they're putting up receivers to collect this information around the city, yes. so they know where people are.
0: Yes. So, and it's what it's saying is they're using the term networked remote ID. So, and it doesn't really go into specifics here, and might require a little bit of research. But are they collecting broadcast remote ID signals? Which I would assume the answer is yes. Um, but yeah, but reminder m- a lot of receivers.
3: My understanding, and I might be wrong, of this was basically they're just doing essentially a mesh network across the city that they're Mm -hmm. using to pick up remote ID broadcasts from people across the city so they can build an active map of drones in the city.
0: Yeah. So if you're flying in and around El Paso, you know, uh, be prepared to be tracked, essentially, is what's happening here. So (laughs) the groundbreaking achievement will serve as a model for other cities across the nation. And will provide enhanced public safety, support for commercial drone operators, and privacy
2: protection for drone pilots. Uh, interesting. Is there any implication? In, I, I apologize, I can't make out the text. Is there any implication oh, in we'll that article on um, uh, detect and avoid?
0: No. So, um, no. it is uh, implementation of the system comes months ahead of the mandate requiring broadcast remote ID by September 16th, 2023. Um, they say, uh, El Paso's accomplishment in implementing the first fully networked remote ID system going beyond the FAA's broadcast ID requirements is a testament to our city's dedication to embracing technology and innovation. This milestone positions El Paso as a leader in the industry, drone industry, paving the way for a safer, more efficient, and prosperous future for our community. Uh, the fully networked remote ID system is a cutting-edge drone identification and tracking technology designed to provide real-time information about drones operating within a specified airspace. So 500 square miles, that's huge. Um, so I'd be interested to see what they're actually doing to uh, for privacy protection for drone operators because everything we know about <laughs> remote ID offers zero privacy protection. Right. Um, or So, in
2: particular location of the operator, yeah. Yeah. Follow, follow. do
3: they have a, i think this is part of people what people are worried about is there do they yeah. have a responsibility to worry about privacy when they're only broadcasting a number and not the name of the person in the location you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i think there's like this barrier that happens where because you're a number and not a name it becomes a different implication and i think that's a concern people have i mean this is going to yeah. happen everywhere it just happens yes. to be the city that's doing this you know mm-hmm. um and the other thing, you, Dave, you asked about a detect and avoid. They do say, like, they 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 talk about a square mile radius from the airport, and they talk about um, civil infrastructure or restricted zones. So I do think this is going to be like data used for detect and avoid, and like sort of uh, moved into that zone, or that's what I would guess anyway. That's or, probably why they're paying for That's how they're paying for this, right? Or like, they'll use this like, as that's evidence. Part of
1: this. As to why they need a counter UAS system in particular right. places. Oh, we detected 3,000 drones flying over this prison or this water treatment plant. So we have to do something about that.
2: Yeah, it's going. I asked the detect and avoid question because uh, the FAA explicitly has said again and again and again that remote ID is not to be used for detect and avoid. So right. we're not even uh, a month, you know or several months before implementation, and we're having the, the discussion. So this should be interesting.
3: I mean, these cities yeah. can't even figure out they're not allowed to make their own rules, much less the, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. they right. probably think they're doing amazing work because they're going above and beyond
4: here. You That's know? right. Yeah. So, hey, just I mean, so jumping in, Dave, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the regulatory environment doesn't, doesn't, Give municipalities the authority to do any kind of counter drone, as far as taking or stopping drones out of the sky by default. But I, I can say at least locally. Uh, for instance, last week we had a uh, we had a helicopter pilot that reported a drone that flew um, over them, and the helicopter was at 900 feet. So you know that's a that's a problem. So I know at least locally, uh, the data that we're using uh, with the RID and the RF packet detection, it's. Um, even though it doesn't identify the operator, since it does track and identify the locations, it just gives people a tool, you know, on the enforcement side to go and try to make contact. And, you know, it's not to be me. It's, you know, if somebody's flying a drone at 900 feet around a helicopter, that's a problem. You know, it's a a big safety issue that gives the drone community a bad name. So I don't know specific to El Paso, you know, how they're planning on integrating it, but I know at least locally with us, we're using that data and that technology to try to keep our airspace safe and then to follow up when we do have encroachments and complaints and things like that.
2: Good background. Thank you, Rob. Can It'd I ask Rob? Too,
4: cause, oh, go ahead.
3: Yes. Real quick, just Rob, in those cases, are are you guys like, is it just covering critical infrastructure or is there like a, you know what I mean? Or is it like a bigger program there, like where you're covering way more?
4: So it, it depends. So, for us, we're just uh, we're just kind of covering critical areas. Um, but I know like airports, like DFW International, the technology that they use, they can cover about a 30-mile radius. So, and that's way well outside of, you know, their airport area. So, that's another tool that, you know, um, that, uh, that airports use, but also, you know, local jurisdictional uh, municipalities can tap into if need be. Um, But it's, it's one of those things, it's not being actively, I can tell you it's not being, we're not actively monitoring that stuff, you know, looking for, you know, who's flying, you know, 250 feet in a 200 square. It's not that. It's when something, there's thousands of drone missions every, you know, every single week in those areas. The only time it really comes into play is when something comes up or something happens or there's some kind of a report of something where we know something's wrong.
0: Interesting. Well, we'll see what happens. It'll definitely be, uh, you know, interesting to see what kind of information comes out of this if if we get you know any kind of information. But um, 500 square miles is quite the uh, big cluster around that city. So um,
4: yeah, we'll see what happens. We're gonna also see. I think we're gonna see this technology, you know, expanding to other places because historically to detect. Um, you know, to detect aircraft, you were going to need, you know, like the uh, aero arm or the aeroscope, the, the hidden level, the places that could detect the actual frequencies and the packets where now with the RID requirement with the Bluetooth or the Wi-Fi, you know, it's essentially any cell phone can detect it and pick it up. So right. I think that this technology is going to be more and more widespread because really, if you think about it, you know, El Paso just has to put some kind of a sensor equivalent to a cell phone you know, it's strategic places around those 500 square miles to get the detection. So,
2: yep. A- Alex is te- teasing Apple, of course, is app, and the, the joke that that Alex is making is that Apple uh, detects Bluetooth 4, and of course, a remote ID has to uh, broadcast uh, Bluetooth 4 and Bluetooth 5, and Bluetooth 5 is the beacon and uh, that's the one that can go a good distance. So if you have an Android phone, you're in luck. You can uh, detect Remote ID if you want. If you have an Apple, uh, there are apps available the, uh, that uh, provide detection. But uh, you're only going to pick up Bluetooth 4. And not every Remote ID system mm-hmm. will
1: be broadcasting Bluetooth 4, mm-hmm. as far as I understand.
3: That's because the... they can do Wi-Fi beacon, right? If they do Bluetooth 5, they have to do Legacy 4. But if they don't do Bluetooth 5, then they can do Wi Fi beacon and not do Bluetooth 4, I think is how it works.
2: Yeah, you got to do 5 because 5 incorporates the uh, error code, which is uh, required in the spec.
3: Okay, I felt like with 5 said you had to also have 4 in it, like as a legacy yes. mode. Okay. Yes, yes, true. Okay,
0: so it so, says, so we got a couple, uh, so XJet says, because all bad actors will have remote ID. I mean, and, and that's the case to be made, right? So. Um, no, not all bad actors will have remote ID. They'll either subvert it. They won't have it. They'll build drones without it. Um, you know, all those different things. Um, but you know, the, the course of the matter is, is that, you know, Generally, a manufactured uh, drone, an easy access drone, will, will have remote ID going forward. So,
1: Or in the case of yeah. <laughs> there was somebody just this week in, near Minneapolis that uh, was mm-hmm. arrested for flying a drone. I don't know if that's already on your list of things to talk about. but
0: No, it was, they, it was kind of a, a smaller thing, but go yeah, ahead, Dan. They, they,
1: they flew somewhat close, I believe, to a, a, a helicopter and they were followed and tracked and arrested. I don't know all the details. It, it sounds like, well, Kevin Morris had some, some quotes in the article, but it sounds like they're in, at least insinuating that the helicopters fly a thousand, a thousand feet in the air. So if the helicopter was close to the drone, the drone was thousand feet in the air and therefore was breaking the rules. But obviously they're not releasing any details yet. Um, I think the yeah. CARE 11 article was the one I saw with Kevin Morris's quotes in there. Saying something like, it's only a matter of time before someone dies or something because of this.
0: Let's see. there we go. Oh, the, this, is, um, this is just on, oh, here we go. Care team. Helicopter go.
2: Association International uh, would have a, a, a more sensible approach, which is uh, a lot of their helicopter um, pilots, a member of the association, fly under 400 feet as opposed to, well, you're near a helicopter, you must be above a thousand. That's what they would say. Um, <laughs> yeah, so this then, is.
1: Uh, it says most helicopters together. are flying around 1,000 to 1,500 feet. So
0: the assumption is the drone <laughs> must have been that high too. Right. All right. Yeah. So it says the pilots were able to avoid a collision with the drone. Uh, State patrol says investigators were called to the scene and together with Minneapolis police officials were able to find the drone's pilot and make an arrest. The FAA has taken over the case and there's a chance the pilot could be charged. Uh, he says the drone and helicopter in this case shouldn't have been in the same airspace it says federal laws uh states drones can't fly any higher than 400 feet unless the pilot receives specific approval from the faa so
2: yeah, that's accurate that's good
0: let's see there have been incident he's okay so there have been incidents where we've had collisions between drones and aircraft fortunately for the traditional aircraft involved it did not cause any further damage than perhaps an emergency landing. It's important to remember that although the drone may look like a toy, it's really an aircraft, and you are the drone's pilot. You're flying that aircraft in airspace that is shared with other aircraft in your area. Nothing about. Uh... Oh, here we go. He's concerned that future crashes and loss of life that could happen. So. Yeah, I guess I exaggerated that a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> there is a concern that that could happen. It hasn't yet. So
0: interesting uh all right so uh another uh another uh kind of roundup in the uh drone delivery market Uh, walmart backed drone up is cutting jobs as drone delivery market struggles um so uh let's see it started laying off uh drone up uh, a walmart started or sorry a walmart backed startup competing alongside amazon and others in the drone delivery market is cutting jobs across the company The Virginia-based company began informing staffers of the layoffs Monday morning, according to two people who lost their jobs and asked not to be named because they weren't authorized to speak publicly. Um, The layoffs come as the tech industry continues to downsize and were a part of the company's decision to focus more on its delivery hubs a network of facilities for on-demand orders in in the U.S. drone-up is moving away from enterprise services like construction and real estate monitoring, aerial data capturing, and marketing, the ex-employee said. Jonah confirmed the job cuts and the strategy chains uh, and said in an email that layoffs hit a small percentage of the team, which now includes 418 people. Uh, so, company said that over the next six months, we will hire more people than were laid off. Well, I'm sure that's company- yeah. comforting to the 418 people. <laughs> uh, I think
2: that it's a 418 so. is the total employment, and it's a, a small percentage of the 418 that's being laid off.
0: Oh, gotcha. Okay, fair enough.
2: But it's yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, I feel I'm, I'm with you. My heart goes out to anyone who's laid off. It's a it's an awful awful situation.
0: Yeah, I mean, went into Bed Bath and Beyond today, and it's just <laughs> like God. It must suck knowing your job is like there's a expiration date on it. Yep. you know.
3: I would assume this is like seasonal, based on contracts or something. Like you know, they don't have enough contracts to like maintain the people, but they expect to get more or renew, and then they can rehire people. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. like. Otherwise, what is the business plan here for getting rid of people and then immediately hiring people back in six months? Like, you, that's not like a reasonable way to run a business. No. So, like, uh, and also, like, I don't know, it seems crazy because at the same time, all we're seeing is info out a zip line of how they're doubling down and they're going to this whole new system and they're adding all these new machines and they're dump- dumping money in and we just did a story on the news about a pizza delivery place that is now going to deliver with Zipline in a 10-mile radius from their pizza joint in multiple locations in Seattle. And Zipline is promising to do these deliveries. It's like, I just don't, underst- I just don't understand Zip the market Zipline is delivering right
1: pizzas? Now. Aren't they the ones that throw boxes that roll on the ground?
3: No, this is what their okay. new ones, right? Okay. So yeah, their yeah, old they, ones are yeah, like yeah, toss it on the, the ground.
0: Drops down, right? Cool.
3: Yeah, this is this is their little robot. They drop a robot and the robot flies down and then comes back up and then docks back in their big drone. Drone
5: up doesn't have a BV loss waiver. Zipline does. Drone up's still limited to visual eyesight. Interesting. So Oh,
0: well, it'll, there's be, it'll that. Definitely be, be interesting because they're both partnered with Walmart um and Um, so yeah, it's just, oh, and Flytrux has uh, signed multiple year, multi-year partnerships with Walmart. So, um, 36 Walmarts in the U.S. have the service uh, for drone delivery. So it'll just be interesting to see where this goes. I mean, we've seen, we've seen companies come and go already in this, so it's not surprising to see layoffs, but it'll be interesting to see if they kind of turn it around or like Bunty said, it's just a seasonal contract based kind of thing. So. Or they know this kind of model or mimic Amazon's model. You mean where they start fires when they crash?
5: Yeah. Or, well, just laying off and hiring people, laying off and hiring people. Similar model.
3: I just, it might be. It just really hurts my brain to think because it costs so much money to hire somebody and train them and and onboard them. And I just, yeah, it just feels seems like something you say to appease investors but you don't actually expect to hire people again in six months but i guess we'll find out
0: yeah i mean thousands of dollars to just hire somebody and get them started i mean yeah it's expensive so
3: and then the time for your staff yeah it's just yeah
0: yeah i'm with you blunty i'm with you all right so last but not least uh we've got the uh bs remote id Device coming from uh, drone tag. So check UAV uh, Tech startup Drone Tag is helping pilots in the U.S. stay regulation compliant, save money in doing so, and also show their true feelings about new rules coming into force in September with the company's new and evocatively named Drone Tag BS yes, Remote the, ID.
1: The BS stands for what you think it stands for.
0: Sure does. So,
3: right. this, is, um, this is a broadcast co- system. <laughs> there you go. This is, a
2: clever, this is a clever company. So, this is at, they're out of Prague, Czech Republic. And uh, Lucas Burchell, who has uh, been on a, num- a number of our Discord uh, servers and chatted with us, uh, we've spoken to him a couple of times. Very bright, uh, uh, I would say young man, but uh, I hope he doesn't take offense to that. Um, uh, Running a, a good-sized electronics company, they have a number of uh, successful remote ID products, and uh, cleverly and tongue firmly in cheek with the naming of uh, BS module. So
0: uh, uh, the BS will become available uh, on the, Yeah, the the BS will become uh, available on Monday, May. Twenty-second for the one-day pre-order price of $49 right. uh, before rising to what will be its habitual $89 per unit. So uh, the company says the ultra-compact device will permit drone operators to easily upgrade their craft and become instantly compliant with the FAA remote identification rules. Uh, they're saying, right. of course, most newer drones that have been or will be delivered with uh that... Have been or will be delivered with remote ID tech, uh, except if you're a hobbyist, they won't. Um, but users of most older UAVs will need to install solutions by third-party solutions, like uh, right. <laughs> producers like DroneTag. So, um, the one thing that I, I I feel like a lot of the industry misses, um, and, and a lot of the news industry misses, uh, is that the fact that hobbyists exist and have existed for a long time. Um, and a lot of them assume that everybody's just buying off-the-shelf products, um, which isn't always the case. So um, there's going to be a lot of uh, potential market for things like this. So definitely be interesting from that standpoint.
2: So yeah, and we'll um, um, we will uh, work to uh, get a hold of one of these um, mm-hmm. and evaluate it to the best we can without uh, any sophisticated layout equipment, but uh, try it out, try it in the field. Weigh it. Should be able to measure uh, amp draw, um, and uh, chatted with uh, Lucas about this, and uh, he's very aware of our relationship uh, with flight test and uh, that uh, broadcast module. So uh, we'll be transparent as always, uh, what we're doing, but uh, figure we'll get a hold of one of these uh, BS modules as quickly as we can and share what we uh, what we can learn.
3: Yeah. Well, um... One thing they mentioned is that the software needs to be updated to get the UART out for the GPS. I think mm-hmm. that'll be a big deal uh, for people because that was uh-huh. a big concern when I brought it up was, they, hey, uh-huh. if I can just pull this as a UART to my to my flight controller then as a GPS, then that's pretty easy and it's not a big deal because it's, you know, 50 bucks. The problem is Lucas talks about You know, that's basically his break-even cost. You know, uh, he used terms on our Discord like he was actually losing money. I suspect that's probably not the case. But um, he said $89 is going to be the final cost for the production volumes he's going to see, you know, unless he sells like a crap ton of them all of a sudden. So um, $89 is definitely going to be steep to a lot of people who are still expecting the FAA's uh, estimates to be correct. Um, And I don't think we're going to see anything like that that includes the GPS. You know, you're going to have to... You know you're going to have to pay some money. Like unfortunately, that's just the world we, we're living in right now. Uh, they also have the drone tag DRI, which is fifty dollars that we talked about before. That's pass through for GPS. Um, I think that also needs an update to work with Betaflight. Um, and that uh, yeah, is fifty bucks, but you need a GPS. And then okay. the other option, there's that new one. I don't know if you added it to the roundup, um, but there's that new one that just got announced from Cube Pilot. That's forty dollars, and that one also needs a GPS as well.
1: Seems surprising
3: to me that these can
1: pass the FAA's um, anti-tamper, you know, tamper resistance uh, features. As we
3: all know, (laughs) that's not an actual requirement because everybody just checks off, you know, these companies are allowed to check the box off and send it in. Yeah. So unless... you know, really somebody would have to do an independent review where they're going in and attempting to tamper with these and then show how they're tamperable, and then the FAA would take that, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's the only world I can see where something like this would happen because the is not yeah. going to vet any tech. It's just pretty
1: obvious you that you could tamper with this just by not connecting an antenna or, you know, disconnecting an antenna. Or in the case of the one that passes yeah. through a GPS, you don't connect a GPS, and then there's no GPS. Well, remember,
3: though... My understanding is the GPS isn't tep- isn't technically the target of the tamper, right? The, the, it's actually the remote ID broadcast is what you can't tamper with. That was, right. that was my understanding of the rule.
0: So the funny thing is, is, is that there's a specific requirement for GPS, um, a certain standard that they have to apply to for the remote ID, correct, Dave?
2: That's correct. It has to have uh, uh, horizontal and vertical accuracy.
0: So yeah. and it uh, s- uh, a specific protocol too, right? It has to be compatible with a specific pro protocol, right? GNSS or GNSS. That yeah. so. There are there are many many different GPS units that don't conform to that uh, standard. So hopefully these providers are providing that information to the end users that you know to be compliant. You're going to need to provide a, a specific protocol so, um, and accuracy yeah. of a GPS unit.
3: I would argue there's a question there, though, because we know that you can not have a lock and still take off, you know, because of the mm-hmm. restrictions that were in the ASTM, the notes that were in the ASTM, because you, if you're in a right. canyon or indoors, it can just ignore the GPS. So in that case, because of the way it's written, does it really matter the accuracy? Because then you could just say, you know what I mean? Like, uh, it's, it yeah. sucks because well, this is going to be really tough yeah, for anybody to, it's never yeah, going to be nailed like down, them. right? This right. is
2: yeah. This is a a, a thread that you, you know keeps um, that you have to really pull and keep uh, unwinding before you you know to follow this through. And so, uh, I think one of, we we made the implication that the FAA is uh, giving a very uh, brief, uh, uh, scant uh, review of all forecast module uh, documentation on uh, on on the. Declaration of compliance, and we found that to be true. And so then it's up to the manufacturer to test, uh, and this is both bench testing and field testing, and determine the interpretation of the means of compliance. Uh, to things that were intentionally vague, like tamper resistance. So you know, there's there's some that do and some that don't, and that this is going to be a, a challenge. And. So one of the things we're talking to the FAA about is that the, their review of these broadcast modules is not helping anyone. Just to, I mean, we're putting you know, companies that are doing this right, and Drumtag is uh, definitely one of them. Uh, put a fair amount of money into uh, development, test, and then, uh, uh, and then how do you, uh, you know, how do you compare with someone who's done zero testing uh, and uh, you know cut, uh, cut the whole cost. But you know, hey, there's a declaration of uh, compliance approval.
3: That's- I'm I'm going to do the devil's advocate real quick and just and just say, would we really want to have a board at the FAA who thinks they understand technically but doesn't actually <laughs> attempting to review all these modules and take four months per module? I I totally understand. Like, it just sucks because if you think of the alternative, the government's not going to do that efficiently in any way. They're not going to actually understand what's happening. And there were, they would vet them poorly or not at all. You know what I mean? So. You just the process they because have for free as and remote uh, ID modules. Oh, you
2: took the words out of my mouth, Alex. I said we could give it to the same team that's working on free as. Took the words out of my mouth. Boy, that's <laughs> pretty cutting of us, huh, Alex? <laughs> oh, we got yeah. some
0: questions here. So let's see if I can... Uh... Um, so he says, uh, so any, can anyone see the information being broadcasted or only authorized people?
2: Anyone, mm-hmm. any, anyone, anyone with a, with a,
0: with a, with a cell phone, generally Android that can detect Bluetooth signals. Right. Um, right. Can, but can, can you, you see won't their
2: get like
1: the person's name. That is something right. that the FAA and police officers would have access to. You would see like the serial number of remote ID module, but it's only right. a matter of time before people start matching up a serial number with a person or at least a pattern of where a certain drone flies. Right.
0: As well right. as right. location. I mean, the, the location will be... It's a unique so. identifier. It's just as good
5: as
1: the name.
0: Basically, right. yep. <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah.
4: And it's well, all, um, law enforcement going to have to go through the FAA to get any of that information. And right. it, we don't know if it's going to be a subpoena process, if it's just going to be a request. Um, but at the same time, you know, I almost... I wonder how it's going to look. You know, if it's like any other government maintained database, you know, I don't see why you know any of us in this in this meeting tonight couldn't go do an open record request on, you know, what drone registration corresponds to this remote ID uh, session. So yeah. I don't know. It's yeah, going that's going to be interesting that was, how it lays out.
2: Yeah, that was a point of uh, contention or and discussion with the uh, the FAA because you know, there were a number of um, uh, private uh, pilots, and they said, look. You know, it's an open database in the FAA. If, you know, if I have a tail number, I can find out who's the you know the pilot registered to that uh, that aircraft. And is this going to be like that? And the FAA swore that that was not the case, that they would protect it. But you know, we'll see.
0: Do we know? Uh, so Dajay also asked, uh, Do we know yet what the consequences will be if you're caught flying without remote ID? Good question.
2: Well,
5: probably education first. That's uh, usually what the FAA goes with. But if you do something stupid, then you'll get fined.
0: So uh, this comes from. Let's see. I don't know that I trust that. Let's see.
2: Yeah, and, and Alex. I should mention that Alex is a fast team member. So and he got, he's, he says that with uh, uh, significant um, background and context. That's not uh, that's not just puffery.
0: So it says, according to an article on DroneRush.com, as an aircraft operating within the national airspace of the United States, you could be held accountable for any aviation laws regarding the licensing and operation of an aircraft. This can include fines up to two hundred thousand dollars and civil right. lawsuits if you put any humans in in harm's way.
2: Right, That's, and uh, I don't and know how accurate make, that source meet, is, but Meat made the point that this is this is all civil. Uh, the all and absolutely yes. right. These are rules and regs and that means that you know, and so uh to alex's point if you know you do something that's really uh dull and you break a law then you're up against uh then you're up against uh criminal uh, it's like uh, last summer we had that here in upstate new york where right. I, uh, uh the guy decided to mouth off to a uh a rain a forest ranger which is never a good idea and uh you got tags with uh, reckless endangerment which is a, a thing in New York and uh, they can take you for a ride on that one so it's mm-hmm. not a good idea to argue
4: yeah, the, uh, only, uh, the only the only FAA like serious enforcement actions that I've seen have been pretty egregious stuff you know going all the way back to Trappy, I think that's the first major one that I recall and I mean, then there was a there was a guy that was uh that was charged with criminal charges I think it was in California I One think it was in Los in Angeles, Angeles. <laughs> if I recall. Uh, he actually crashed into a police helicopter. And then, of course, you have the Bengals encroachment, the guys that were flying down in the NFL stadium. But all of those things, uh, if you go back and you look at what they were doing, it, was, it, it wasn't it was just they were flying out with remote ID. It was pretty egregious stuff that, you know, actually put humans in, in dangerous situations.
5: And uh, part of that is the FAA can only publish um, – incidents or enforcements if they're large like for after a certain size so a majority of enforcement that the fa does is unknown to the public because of pii and other information so the ones that you do see are big and stupid stuff that people do.
0: so definitely okay. uh, um, some good questions thank you for that um Let's see. Next stop. Remote ID,
2: always a hot topic. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs>
3: I have one that I would like to address real quick, which is, are there yeah, any consequences put to putting out a fake remote ID transmission? Is that an FCC violation?
0: It could be both. Um, so it could be... I mean, this is just me guessing. I'm not a I'm not a legal person by any stretch of the imagination, but I would say it could be an FCC violation and it could be an FAA violation. Yeah, I
1: don't think it would be because it's double. It's different. a public. Basically, it's an open spectrum. Anybody can broadcast on it and do what they want. Like, but if you're, if you're busted putting
0: out like a spoof, yeah.
1: There's you can yeah, you can spoof you... SSIDs for wireless. You can spoof all kinds of things, and you, there's no penalty for doing so if you're d- using a public channel,
2: as long as you're using using a device that's Part 15 uh, approved and it's legit. So that, I'm that's wondering really if you, you get quest. busted.
0: So... I wonder if you get busted for something else though, like you know, putting like I you get busted an... for not like for like let's say flying over people and then they can throw that on as an additional charge that you were putting out fake information. Yeah,
3: we could, I yeah, suspect I, they would find a statute to get you under. Right. right. if you broadcast 500 fake remote ID signals in an area, yeah. Right. And yeah, I'm, um, I would
4: want to on that. I think you would be it'd be like hunting a deer with a GPS collar. They would make it a goal. <laughs> 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 hey Rob, so, just a
3: heads up. We're getting some feedback from you when everybody else is talking. So
4: Gotcha. Sorry about that. Let me mute it. No problem. Yep. All right. So, Dave, uh,
2: what do you got? Um, so, Dan and I have had the, uh, the august pleasure of uh, updating our FPVFC safety guidelines. And so, as of uh, today, I think, there is a new set of uh, FPVFC safety guidelines up on our uh, website. Looks like we lost Josh. Um,
4: yeah, he's still here, just okay, his video is off.
2: Ah, okay. Wonderful. And the, uh, so, um, the, as we've been, we've been talking about this for a couple months, and uh, it's done. So it's updated, it's, it's approved, and, uh, and uh, the FAA is happy with our updates. Uh, the majority of the changes were two areas. One was uh, FPV racing, and uh, the second was uh, night operations. Uh, we um, declined to add anything in about a requirement for uh, strobes or lights to be added to the aircraft. And instead, we said that uh, uh, you should be able to fly uh, with uh, ambient lighting. And if you can't, then uh, then that's an issue. You shouldn't fly. Although I would uh, say also... that
1: the paragraph we added about <clears throat> night flying is very open to interpretation
2: yes it is we Um, we would also encourage anyone and this is a a group of folks that are more interested in regulations than most so we absolutely would encourage you to uh, take a look at our uh, nice briefs felt 16 pages i think it is now (laughs) it went from like 10 to 15 (laughs) pages roughly yeah oh my goodness Um, so so the uh, there were there was a a lot of explanation uh that we were asked to uh, provide and that's the, uh, the part of this that uh, really uh, got our, uh, our dander up, is that, okay, I could see that there, uh, our FPV racing, we intentionally made it very light. We also intentionally made the night ops non-existent in our safety guidelines, and it was all approved. So the FAA then came back and said, or we thought it was, it was like approved. You'd- <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, apparently it was, because we now, only now, have the official letter from the, uh, the FAA recognizing it. So it was approved. So um, they then came back and said, "Well, we'd like you to update these two areas: FPV racing and night ops." Okay. Then, once we did that, they said, "Well, there's more in the document that we would really like you to uh, to update." Now we get into rulemaking via an advisory circular, and we're going to raise some cane over this. Yeah, they really so, got into the details, mm-hmm. even definitions of words and all kinds of little
1: things that. Yeah. More definition than they put in any of their words. rules yes
2: yes yeah so so as a lot of folks know we were uh, proud of the work we did with uh, drone safety team where we led an ad hoc committee on the uas asrs unmanned aircraft system uh aviation safety reporting system uh, monitored or managed by nasa so this is uh something that with the recommendations we made as a committee if it's streamlined this could make sense as a good way to report uh, incidents so we wrote that up in our safety guidelines the people reviewing our document had never heard of uh, asrs that's curious and had never heard of of course uas asrs so we had to change the reporting system so our the whole write-up in our documentation um we also made a big point of statute versus uh, requirements, and this is uh, you know law versus rules. Uh, so we had to lean into that a bit. Uh, we also were were uh, required to talk about what's what sort of flight preparation do we want to do on the aircraft, and uh, we were asked to uh, define appropriate and uh, nominal dimensions of a FPV freestyle field. Okay. <laughs> You Anywhere know, from we about able... this
1: big to this big, right? So we were able to
2: agree on that last one. That no, nah, that's the antithesis of freestyle. There's there's no definition there's of no a flying field. It'd be awesome if you guys knew, you know, what <laughs> we were talking about. Yeah, it
1: became very clear the person reviewing our regulations was thinking, "You guys fly at AMA flying field. You do boring circles, and that's what the regulation
0: should be about." No, sorry, sir. We do not. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, so um, we've got a, an approved set of uh, um, um, uh, safety guidelines, and uh, uh, that's up. That's up there, and uh, uh, that's one piece. Um, any any questions on the safety guidelines? Josh, did you want me to also talk about the couple other areas we're into, or absolutely? No. So the no. I see one uh, one question: How are we doing on free is And of course, so we submitted on May 2nd with a due date of May 3rd, comments due to a uh, a set of guidelines that are probably going to go into place uh, about the programmatic environmental assessment for FRIAs. And so if you're at an AMA uh, flying field and uh, the AMA came out yesterday and said that they have been working with the FAA since 2021 on this document, uh, and news to us, um, the, the, uh, the AMA was has been completely silent uh, with anyone else on this. And uh, the AMA, if you're if you're flying at an AMA uh, flying field, you might get a buy on the programmatic environmental assessment. But if you're looking for a new field to be approved as a FRIA, you might be asked for an environmental impact statement. So the the. the Again, as usual with the FAA document, there's a lot of interpretation. And so, um, our comments that we posted up on that document were uh, our response was scathing. Um, uh, Things like uh, citing the AMA as representing 95% of all uh, small UAS uh, operations, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, in terms of the the FRIA, we are uh, asking for a program manager to be assigned to us as a CBO that will help us navigate uh, the FAA and we'll hopefully that will happen over the next couple weeks and that's uh, top of the list is uh, we really need to work on this uh, on a FRIA situation. Um, next up on our docket is the noise policy we've been talking about that has a July 31 uh, deadline for comments uh, and uh, uh, J- Josh mentioned the uh, detection and mitigation arc, which is has a kickoff on 23 May next week, and
3: oh, that's what can, we're working on. Can we mention, I mean, I'll just say, I'm, I think we can, that they already have been denying Freeas. I don't know oh, really? like, if anybody well, knows that, right? We know I think that we talked about one that, oh,
2: that wait, was happening. I, I know one, yeah.
3: Yeah, and, and, so I mean, we we know they are so much, working on Freeas in so much as denying them.
2: And so much for a serial process, remember, they told us we're going to work on these as we receive them, and we know among the five or six of us that you know we we dropped in requests that were like early in the count and have none of us have heard a word. so it you know interesting, maybe these uh, the folks that were denied, you know, maybe they uh, applied for uh, free requests uh, we in we October. started over.
5: A- Couple of we started a couple months late because we didn't get our uh, CBO approval uh, right away. Um, yep. They, I believe it's educators who are getting denied currently because that's where they're still at. Because educators, like colleges, could apply immediately.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, educators, um, not primary or secondary schools.
3: Okay, Correct. so they like, have to uh, be chartered. who? who pays for the environmental assessments um, ex- or Quick quickflash in the chat is saying that he said some you... people in the FAA said it would be the FAA covering it no way no no no
4: no <laughs> FAA
2: no, covers no, nothing no, no that's, that's like <laughs> that's what i thought i just wanted to be clear that's, that's explicit okay. in the pa pea free document that cost is borne by the uh, the uh, organization or managing or the yeah. applicant yeah. All right not the free, um, not the CBO organization, but the organization uh, using the okay. field.
0: So let's make yeah. this clear, the FAA pays for nothing. Uh, right. When they uh, came out with trust, uh, they specifically said that they did not want to host it, that they wanted other organizations to host it because they wanted n- no financial responsibility no cost. for it, but it's a requirement right. that they have. So there's there's absolutely nothing coming from the FAA for any kind of you, you just give money. They, they it just they they never give. It, it
1: does, does seem at least like the UAS part of the FAA has no funds for anything anyway.
0: Yep. Well, Pretty they much. give funds all the time for tests, you know, for like test corridors and uh um counter drone stuff and testing that we never see the yeah, results grants of. and things and like that. Yeah, so I mean, they do give that, but yeah, no. Don't don't expect them to pay for your your EPA uh, inspection. Like they don't they even have much ending, money for uh, just
1: droning on events or anything, right, Alex? No.
5: Yeah, no. They have a couple <laughs> of stickers.
2: <laughs> right. And there's there's a good question here: environmental uh, impact of a field question. And so, the um, t- if you take a look at the uh, at the PEA free comments, uh, they're posted up. Uh, on our website, you'll see that we flagged a couple of the uh, areas in the document that, uh, uh, that are uh, of concern. And one of them is endangered species. So it's pretty easy to uh, kick off a requirement for an endangered species uh, environmental impact study. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be climate, it, it can be wildlife and that can get you know, very, very expensive. So good question and yeah, of a flying field. Uh, so it does look like the one area that could be uh, a saving grace is if it's an existing field, it might get a buy. And so, hmm, I was flying here, you know, last year, it's so an existing flying field. So that's how, to my mind, that's how uh, free application applications should be drafted.
3: Uh, Dave, uh, James Spears asks, has there been any discussion on drone flight or maintenance logs? Um... The FAA gives people more leeway if they see attention to detail. So, didn't they ask us about like trying to tell people? Like, was that just reporting, or were there something where they were trying to get us to make people report like were, other things?
2: They were creeping up on uh, logs and reporting and flight logs in the uh, right. advisory circular, and, and we we said, um, yeah, ain't nobody got time for that. No, we said we <laughs> said no, and we did not include any of that in the safety guidelines. Okay. Good question.
1: I like uh, Legendary Sideburn's comments that I have no idea how y'all put up with this much bureaucracy. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) And yes, it is not easy. And sometimes in our meetings, uh, the frustration comes through.
2: (laughs) Yeah.
5: Just a
3: little bit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, this will be interesting. So, I mean, the... the... Um, did we get sorry and uh, sorry I've been out of the loop for a second. Did we get API access to, to oh, free it no, no no no, uh, no. They've they they've said that's, that's not that's a thing still okay. it's they a don't security, think it's
3: a thing.
2: Right? It's a security issue. Okay. And um it's not possible. And so <laughs> we're we're taking we're we're gonna keep on that one. But well, wasn't it? They don't seem it, to understand how APIs work. First it doesn't exist, it doesn't then doesn't we showed exist.
1: them that it does exist, then they said Correct. you can't Karen use it because that's a safety violation or issue. And then we pointed out that their website uses it for users to submit their data. We just don't have the documentation on it. And they're like, well, sorry.
0: <laughs> okay. Oops. So a bunch of people who don't know what's going on. Cool. Yep. Okay. Sorry to interrupt um, you. Mitty. what do you have?
3: A quick flash asks what's the estimated cost of an environmental impact study or do we, or in another yeah. way, do we know what <laughs> environmental yeah. impact studies yeah. might cost in other cases from, like yeah. this? Yeah.
2: I'm from just from, uh, you know, hanging around and be, you know, watching in the various places I've lived across the country. It goes from, you know, thousands to millions of dollars.
0: Let's see. So, a 2-month window should provide a sufficient time to complete a thorough environmental assessment. This is just random stuff. Uh, cost anywhere between 3,000 and 5,000 while a phase 2 assessment can range from 7,000 to 60,000. So, hey, there you go. I don't have that kind of money. <laughs> you got to really want that fria uh, i think yeah
3: mm. more like and, oh, yeah.
2: and the, the to me the, the the downside is if if you say all right well, okay we'll do uh, an eis and an environmental impact study and then the faa says well we're going to deny you the application of the fria now you've got a federal agency working with you on a uh, environmental impact you think they're going to all just walk away and close up shop and uh, let you continue to fly? Yeah, not hardly. Well, so, don't forget they, that we want to walk you, through this.
1: As soon as you put a remote ID module on your drone and fly it in that location, the environmental impacts must go away. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what Dan is referencing is some, <laughs> of, the, uh, some of the FAA documents that said, you know, yeah, you know, your alternative is uh, just to use a remote ID uh, uh, broadcast module, which, in point of fact, He's absolutely right. So if we have a flying field and, you know, look, you know, it looks like, wow, you know, yeah, they could, they could stick us to say, we need to do an environmental impact study. You might, you know, it might be the right thing to do is just to uh, put broadcast modules on your aircraft.
1: I guess uh, a bunch of drones with a hundred dollar broadcast module (laughs) is a lot cheaper than a. To six thousand dollar <laughs> environmental impact survey, unless there's a lot of drones yeah, it's there, it's audited out much right. safer. In, in right. that ball and then level. it's, I mean, yeah, and then it's because well, they uh, can know, get out their, their phone and see who's flying where,
2: <laughs> right? <laughs> and, yeah, and remember, this is this stuff gets into uh, you know, you do the study, then you have to do the mitigation if the mitigation is ever possible. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, this gets this can, this can get ugly. So, we're we're the idea behind the programmatic environmental assessment is that the FAA was supposed to have done a lot of study and then if you if you're at an AMA field, most of the time you can, as I said, you can get a buy on this. You don't have to do any further work. However, if you read the document very carefully, you'll see that there's lots of leeway that allows uh, pretty much uh, a number of uh, different, uh, Organize agencies across the federal government to come in and uh, do an environmental impact. So this is this to me is just a, a messaging on. Okay, remember that number that the FAA said the maximum number of free we're going to do is 4000. Well, they could turn out to be right because by gosh, going to be 2600 AMA fields and a couple others. And that's not what we want and we're going to work to see if we can uh, fix that, but. It's uh, we're, we're working uphill right now, okay. Yep. And with that, with that cheery note, <laughs> so Mrs. Lincoln, other than that, how did you enjoy the show?
0: All right, yeah. I mean, I feel like we it, it, it's sometimes a, a stream of bad news that uh, we have from these town halls, but sometimes it's just about keeping you guys informed of where we're at, where the FAA is at, where other organizations are at that we know of, so. Um, you know, don't shoot the messenger. We're 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 trying for sure. Um, anybody Alex have gonna,
2: uh, Alex? Can Alex give well, to... some good yeah. news? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, you Alex.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Um. So
5: this show will probably be released officially tomorrow from the FAA, or at least by the end of the week. But uh, at Exponential last week, the FAA allowed um allowed me to dive their booth at oh, nice. like say so like a tower in the middle of their booth so they let me fly my tiny wolf around it surprisingly um and they're gonna make a video that they're gonna post on their website but here is the um here's the flight i'm not sure can you guys see the black screen right now Let's see. We see your discord can you see the discord Ah, great. I have to actually share. (laughs) Wrong thing. Uh, It doesn't want to show the video player because I don't have this on YouTube. Oh, here we go. Now it will. So now you should be able to see the player screen there. Yep, I dive-bombed the FAA. uh, So this is their booth, kind of, and they let me fly my tire up around it, surprisingly. It took a couple of days to (laughs) actually get...
1: For them to give me
5: permission to fly there,
1: but well, it was a—you uh, didn't just gorilla what it. They did.
5: <laughs> no, I didn't because I figured I would just ask, and they ended up wanting to do a video about it. And you can see there's a dozen FA folks all around the <laughs> tower, just flying through it, and then right. at the a uh, couple of friends there who are also.
1: Uh, enjoying watching (laughs) nice super cool but also very very sad that you couldn't have done this outside yeah (laughs) and I kind of told them that this uh,
5: couldn't have been done outside and uh, yeah that's uh, pretty much that flight well done Uh, yeah I hope some uh,
1: FAA employees left learning a thing or two about drones I'm pretty sure they did not uh, we that, got some more of them on the simulator. Not that yeah, it's going to change any regulations, right. but hopefully we're slowly changing a few employees.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you not only getting out to exponential, but you also uh, staffed uh, an an effort uh, for Drone Safety Day, right, Alex? And
5: yes, so and, uh, Drone Safety. In Jersey. Uh, yeah, in Jersey. Um, they're so drone mm-hmm. safety day they were at warren community college in new jersey uh i got together a couple of local pilots and we set up a booth um and we got an emac sent us a, a easy pilot so we could get some kids flying behind some goggles we had a nice track set up so uh kids could fly we had a we had it set up so that when you walked in the sins were right there so you could go straight to the sins first And then once you could fly on the sim, we took you to some tiny whoops and you could fly the tiny whoops. And then we also had a couple information sheets of how you could get into FPV or different resources to start um, and all kinds of stuff like that. And we had a decent turnout, a constant flow of attendees. We had kids, adults, parents, grandparents, all going through, and we even got a, Bunch of flying with the FAA there too. Uh, I think we got we got about eighty percent of the FAA folks who are at the droning on event to actually fly, Um, and that was a
2: that was a that's a noble noble effort. Great great effort with the community with the public as well as to as we were saying earlier. Put some uh, goggles on the FP, FP FAA personnel. That's a great thing. So, yeah. Thank you for uh, setting that up. Really appreciate it. And I know Rob was uh, working on an event same day, Drone Safety Day, uh, down in Texas. So, Rob, thank you for that work as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Dave. Okay, Josh. Anything? Anything else? Nope.
0: Uh, just. Uh... We're a little over a month out, but uh, we will be at Flight Fest. Um, So Dave, myself, Rob, and Alex, I think, for a day. Um, So the rest of us will be there for the entire event. Um, So if you're going to Flight Fest, come and see us. I believe we are going to be holed up at the Pilot Institute uh, tent, as well as have some space in one of the build tents like we did last year. Um, So feel free to swing by, say hi. And uh um bring us whatever you got and we'd love to see it and uh I'd love to applying with y'all. So yeah, come um, fly.
2: Yeah.
5: The yeah. week after Flight Fest uh is Io. So if you're interested in IO as well, I'll be at the entire IO event. <laughs> way to go, uh, Alex. Uh so yeah, race, we all will have tracks for beginners <laughs> all the way up through uh world-class pilots, but Tracks are available for everyone to fly. Yep. And there's also a freestyle track. And if you only want to do freestyle, there's a freestyle only pass too. So it's discounted for if you just want to fly freestyle at IO this year too.
0: Yep. All right, I think with that, we'll give you back the rest of your evening. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, We definitely appreciate the uh, input, the questions, um, the comments. Uh, We love all of that. We love hearing from you guys. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, sometimes it's a little doom and gloom, but, uh, just keep in mind, we're here to inform, let you know what we're doing and, uh, let you know what's going on, uh, in the, uh, regulatory space and, uh, and, and a little bit beyond. So, uh, thanks for sticking with us and we'll see you in another two weeks, guys. Thanks.
5: See ya. Thank you very much. See ya.